0: What do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. You've got to love New Yorkers, right? I'm from New York, we're never afraid to express our opinions, and you saw that. So what you actually just saw was one of Jews for Jesus' evangelism campaigns in New York City, one of the cities that we do uh, a lot of evangelism in and have a full-time branch in. And um, I've been on about six of those myself in New York City, great place for evangelism. excuse me, and that's what Jews for Jesus is all about. We're about bringing the gospel to our Jewish people around the world. I'm Jewish, I'm from New York City, and um, we're raised to believe that you can't be Jewish and believe in Jesus. That if you become a Christian, you become a traitor to your people, you stop being Jewish, and none of that's true, but that's what we learned growing up. And yet the good news is, God is working in the Jewish community today. Amen. Amen, indeed. So many good things are happening. We just had an evangelism outreach similar to what you saw in the video in Israel in the southernmost port of Eilat, right on the water, vacation spot for a lot of Israelis. Most Israelis are secular. They're, uh, you know, they're atheist agnostics. Maybe they're, they even get involved in New Age, whatever. But on this campaign, we, um, we got the names and addresses or the emails of about 224 Jewish Israelis who said, okay, I want to hear more. I want to know more about the gospel. And we follow up on them, try and involve them in Bible studies, visit them, call them. And um, it was very exciting to see that happen. We also had an outreach in Kiev, Ukraine. 614 Jewish people left us their contact information. Pretty amazing. Uh, And we, we follow up all these people So, yeah, we've got four branches in Ukraine, our largest branches in Israel here in North America, uh, Australia, South Africa. A lot of good things are happening. And um, before the message time this morning, excuse me, I just want to invite you to to partner with Jews for Jesus uh, as God puts on your heart today. So in your bulletin, you have a card like this. Please take it out as I speak. There's a tear-off portion on the card. Now, maybe you can't be with us on the streets of New York handing out um, uh, literature. And by the way, I should show you um, some of what we hand out. You know, we have to use a little humor to break the ice. So at Passover time, we've got a tract that's called Pharaoh Wasn't Very Nice. You know, if you come with us to San Francisco, Union Square, the shopping district department stores, people are running in and out. They're going into Macy's. They're going into the other department store, needless markup. And, um, (laughs) you know, we have a a track called Shop Till You Drop. Gospel's in there. We can get into conversations. Most of you won't be doing that with us, so if you want to volunteer, talk to me afterwards. We do have church people come out. But if you fill out this card with your name and address or spot for your email, we'll send you 200 Jews for Jesus every month. Yes. (laughs) But we'll come to you via our newsletter. There's about 200 on our staff worldwide. Newsletter looks like what I'm holding up. And this is to, you know, let you partner with us by praying. There's always things to pray for, specific events and specific people. And prayers are a wonderful thing. Um, we'll help you witness to Jewish friends. We will help you connect the Old and New Testament dots together. Our director, David Brickner, always has a uh, devotional to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And we also have once a month email communication. So if you fill out the card, and some of you get our newsletter already, you can fill it out again so we, we know that you are worshiping here. That's an encouragement. And uh, the way we'll collect these later is you can put it in the tithe boxes on the back wall, or you can turn it in at our literature table outside the sanctuary. Now, what else? The small part of the card you tore off, bring it home. It's a prayer reminder. And one thing you can pray for is right now as we continue to follow up those 224 and 614 names in Israel and in Kiev and uh, we'll be calling people, mailing them literature. Pray that a lot will be open to getting together. Sometimes it starts with a cup of coffee. Sometimes it starts with a Bible study. Uh, some of those people will come to faith. Well, let's pray that that happens to many of them. Uh, it's an encouraging time to be sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And we also have, okay, outside the sanctuary, there is a, uh, a literature or a resource table Uh, A lot of free stuff, things for purchase as well. Our European director, Avi Snyder, who pioneered our work in the former Soviet Union, wrote a book called Jews Don't Need Jesus and Other Misconceptions. (laughs) Um, I got a book here that I wrote called Christ in the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath is the day of rest, yeah? And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So we show how he's the fulfillment of this weekly day of rest. And if you wanna know, what was daily life like in the time of Jesus? We have a book, interestingly, it's called Daily Life at the Time of Jesus. (laughs) And we'll have these available afterwards also. And if you're even part of the latest craze of adult coloring books, <laughs> yes, we ventured into that as well with a adult coloring book of messianic prophecies called The Glory of the Messiah. And um, we'll actually talk about messianic prophecy in just a couple of moments. So as God puts on your heart today, partner with us, fill out the card, drop it into the um, the boxes in the back. There'll also be an opportunity to give an offering to Jews for Jesus in those boxes after the service. Um, Support the rock first. This is your primary place of giving. But if you're going to give to Jews for Jesus, we welcome your donations. You don't need to give one to fill out the card, um, but it will go for our work. And I understand that you can make the checks out to Jews for Jesus, and that'll probably help distinguish it from many gifts for the church. So exciting times. And this morning, we're going to look at something exciting also. It's Jesus in the Old Testament. This is an ancient implement they found in the Middle East from the time of the Exodus. And it's so old, it's falling apart in my hands. We're talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, Paul says, was uh, given for uh, our benefit. Everything that's in there is written down for our instruction. And, you know, you probably know the, uh, the Old Testament better than most Jewish people do. We're, we're secular people today, atheists, agnostics, new age. We're not traditional like 100 or so years ago. Most of us don't read the Old Testament, don't own one. Uh, we know a few Bible stories maybe And we don't know what's really in there. But what we're going to see is something that's in there is what God had in mind from the very beginning. And that is it talks about the coming of the Messiah, the hope of the world. Because Jesus said in Luke, he said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled And this he said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus Um, after the resurrection. They had not yet recognized who Jesus was for a while, but he revealed himself to them and taught them right out of the scripture and opened their eyes to see things they may not have seen and that even religious Jewish people don't necessarily see today. So we're going to do this through five Five snapshots of how Jesus appears in the Old Testament and um, we're going to start with Jesus in prophecy messianic prophecy the words of the Old Testament speaking of the coming of a Redeemer the coming of the Messiah yeah Uh. (laughs) why is there a green snake here what's that (laughs) He's not glorious, no, Um, but he's green and has fangs. Well, this goes back to the book of Genesis. Um, As we know, sin came into the world when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and as a result, uh, God uh, placed a curse upon the man and the woman and the serpent who deceived them, who was really Satan, wasn't it? And God pronouncing the curse on the serpent says, I'll put enmity... Between you, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, singular, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The very first promise from God that the sin in this world is going to be redeemed. The very first promise that the pain and the suffering and and the sorrows and tragedies are going to come to an end one day. And this is the first prophecy of the coming Messiah the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Not her many offspring, but he, singular here. Looking forward to the time when Satan would um, bruise the heel of Jesus at the crucifixion, but that Jesus would defeat permanently the serpent and the seed of the serpent, bruise your head. That's the fatal wound. And this is the first... Uh, glimpse we have. Right at the outset, God was determined. God was determined, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to, in my love, extend redemption to the human race. But from then on, the promise of the Messiah is uh, traced through one man named Abraham, Uh, You know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom the Jewish people came, through whom Jesus came, because Jesus was not Norwegian, Uh, uh, some people might think, but uh, he actually was Jewish. And so we have God's words to Abraham here. Uh, The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he goes on to say, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So now we also have a promise that God's redemption is going to extend to all the families of the earth, all the nations, all of humanity. You know, Jews were the chosen people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they were chosen to be a light to the world. They were chosen as the people through whom the Messiah came. But God says it's not just going to be for them. It's going to be for everybody. And that's why this morning we're here together as brothers and sisters in the Lord, Jew and Gentile alike, because of what God promised way back to Abraham. And as we continue to go through the scripture, And most Jewish people don't don't really know these verses. As we go through the scripture, we find all kinds of promises about uh, Jesus, but let's focus on a very famous one from Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 53. Famous, famous chapter. It's the chapter that talks about how the Messiah will come and die for our sins. Now, we all know the expression, Jesus died for our sins. There are billboards out there. Most Jewish people, blank slate, don't understand what that is. Don't understand the Messiah is supposed to die for our sins. You ask my great-grandparents or my grandparents, when they were the traditional Jews, what's the Messiah going to be like? And they would have said, well, he'll be a great warrior. He'll uh, bring all the Jews back to Israel. He'll bring peace to the world. When we see peace in the world, whoever did that will know he's the Messiah. But we miss the whole other thread in the Old Testament. Yes, he'll be a great king, but first he's going to come humbly and deal with uh, a problem that's in our hearts. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed, Isaiah 53, uh, 5. Traditional uh, Judaism interprets this this whole chapter not of the Messiah but of the nation of Israel. Well, the Jews have suffered so much, so uh, that's who Isaiah is talking about. Not so. If you read the whole chapter, we're, we're not being pierced for our own transgressions. This is somebody else. And why does he have to die for our transgressions? Um, It was a purpose to his death. You know, one time uh, somebody, I don't know if they were Jewish or or Gentile, but they were obviously secular, not very religious. Someone asked them, why did Jesus die? Do you know why Jesus died? And um, not surprisingly, they said, because he stopped breathing. (laughs) Because most people don't think that there's a purpose to somebody's death, that there was a purpose to Jesus's death. But here, Isaiah tells us. And I was in Israel um, on an evangelism trip uh, some years ago. Young man there said to me uh, something we hear all the time from Jewish people. So if Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't there peace in the world? Why are we at war on every side? I said, you know, God could snap his fingers and bring peace. but..." If we didn't change inside in our hearts, we'd mess the world up again in a few weeks. You know, God's not going to force peace. We've got to change our hearts, and God will turn you into the kind of person who can bring his peace to others, his shalom, his peace. He thought about that. So the Messiah had to deal with the problems of the heart first, and that is why he died. Yes, he did stop breathing, but there was a purpose to his death. And the New Testament repeatedly um, talks about uh, Isaiah 53 in so many verses. We can't read these all through, but you'll see uh, John 12, 38. You'll see Luke 22. Uh, You'll see uh, 1 Peter uh, 2, uh, verse 22. Matthew 8 and uh, Acts chapter 8. That's the interesting one because that's where Philip is talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian eunuch has been uh, reading Isaiah chapter 53 and Philip comes up and goes, do you know what you're reading? you know what it means? And uh, I paraphrase, but the Ethiopian eunuch says, no, what's up with Isaiah 53? And so Jesus starts to explain, Says, starting from that very passage, he explained to him about Jesus and about the gospel. Powerful passage, and it speaks of the coming of Jesus. Many more messianic prophecies, and, you know, Traditional Jews have their own interpretations. Most Jews, being not traditional today, haven't even heard of these prophecies. There have even been accounts of Jewish people who did not realize oh, that they were reading from the Old Testament. Someone pointed them to Isaiah 53. They read that. They said, don't show me the New Testament. That's obviously Jesus. Um, or Jews who haven't even heard of Isaiah. Um, What is he, a a football player? Uh, No. He. Well, yes, but he's also a a prophet from the Old Testament. And uh, so that's where we're at. Um, One of the prophets says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, So true today. But prophecy is just one snapshot of how Jesus appears in the Old Testament. He also appears in what? We can think of as pictures or foreshadowings, uh, what's often called types. A type uh, is a picture of what comes in the New Testament. And, um, yeah, this is pretty amazing. This has to do with the story in Genesis. Chapter 22, it's the story that you might know of how God asked Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. It's a powerful chapter. It's a mysterious chapter. It's read every year in the synagogues. Um, Genesis 22 is on the holiday of the Jewish New Year in the fall. And it's a chapter that says, so God called Abraham. And he said, take thou your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take him to the mountain, I will show you, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the altar. And Abraham, wonderful example of obedience and faith, um, obeys God and takes his son Isaac, and um, they're going up the mountain, and Isaac's son, no dummy, he doesn't see that they brought an animal with them. He says, well, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And um, Abraham, knowing that God had promised that Abraham's descendants would come through Isaac, had faith to know that somehow Isaac had to live. And so Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, my son. They go up, ties up Isaac on the altar, raises the knife to kill him, and then the angel of the Lord cries out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him, because now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And they look up, and what do you know? There in the bushes, a ram. And that gets sacrificed instead. And while the meaning of this chapter gets debated in synagogues every year, I want to show you this painting. This is by a Jewish painter named Mark Chagall. Some of you have heard of him. He's not a believer in Jesus, as far as we know. But he painted a lot of Bible scenes. And he painted this called the Sacrifice of Isaac. And there you see uh, Abraham in uh, red, and you see Isaac in yellow on the altar, and Abraham's got the knife. You see the angel of the Lord on top, who's going to tell Abraham to stop. You see the bush in the background uh, with the ram in it. And then, though, in the upper right-hand corner, you've got a scene of a Jesus carrying the cross. And the color red is dripping down onto the scene of uh, Abraham. Mark Chagall was not a Christian, to the best of our knowledge. But he saw a connection between uh, the Old and the New Testament in this picture. And I don't know if he was thinking of this verse or not. But there is a New Testament verse that you all know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, like God called Abraham to give up his only son, whom he loved. God so loved us that he gave his only son so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. And so I think that um, Mark Chagall may have seen this connection. I think John, when he wrote his gospel, deliberately made that connection. It's a prefiguring, it's a picture of something greater that would happen when God sent Jesus. Uh, Here we have an only son uh, almost being sacrificed by uh, his father. And in the New Testament, we have God's only son really being sacrificed and then rising from the dead. But a powerful, powerful picture. Jesus in a prefiguring, a picture, a type. Now we have a third snapshot. You like snapshots? Messianic prophecy, types... Now Jesus in theophany, that's a great a theological word. It means the appearance of God. I, I like big words uh, like theophany. Um, it reminds me of, in one of Paul's letters, he says to greet his two friends with the unpronounceable names. Um, something like greet Schenectady and apostrophe um, for me. And, um, That's what they did. They went ahead to greet uh, Schenectady in apostrophe. But here we've got uh, Theophany, the appearance of God. Before God ever became a man uh, in the incarnation, he sort of had um, little bits of that going on in the Old Testament where he appeared as a man, not fully human, not born as a human being and also God, but yet... uh, kind of pointing the way there. Genesis 18. A lot of this is from Genesis, a great, great book. And um, yeah, here we've got the story of Abraham and the uh, three visitors who came to him one day. Very interesting story. Um, Were they angels? Were they men? Yeah. Yeah. Abraham gets a meal for them. He uh, sits down, he talks to them. But as the conversation goes on, it becomes apparent that one of those visitors is God himself. Because you read it, the angel said to Abraham, then God said, the same person, angel, God, angel, God. And in some way, God appeared to Abraham and uh, 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 spoke to him. The, the angel of the Lord is another character we meet throughout the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Samson's parents, announced the birth of uh, Samson was coming up. And this is the angel of the Lord. But then uh, Samson's father Manoah says, "Woe unto us," or he might have said "Oiveh," that's the <laughs> Hebrew. He said, "Because we have seen God." So, you know, God made these these appearances in the Old Testament. And uh, every time you see this, uh, see, Jewish people say, a man can't become God. And we can agree, but God could become a man. And they'll say, no, he can't. Now, I noticed this. Even Jewish people who are atheists raise objections to kind of keep the gospel at length sometimes. So an atheist, a Jew's an atheist might say, you believe in three gods. We believe in one God. Well, do you really believe in God? No, I'm an atheist. But it's, <laughs> it, it keeps the gospel at length. And the same thing, you know, uh, man can't become God. We don't believe that. You see how God appeared in, in human form in, uh, in the Old Testament. You can point to a passage like Genesis 18. It um, may not convince them, but uh, I think it will show them that they're kind of raising a smokescreen uh, objection. And we do that oftentimes to keep the gospel at arm's length. But God has a way of invading our lives. And so... Uh, that doesn't always quite work. So our third snapshot was God making appearances in the uh, the Old Testament. In fact, there was a Jewish author who wrote a book a few, uh, few years back where he said, you know, the idea of the incarnation, you can find that in Judaism. He said that's not what separates Jews from Christians. He says the incarnation is Jewish. The Trinity is Jewish. He actually said this. But we don't believe that the Messiah is going to die for our sins. We believe He's going to build the temple and, and, and bring peace, and that's what really separates us. Interesting uh, admission. But um, when you look at the, these Old Testament passages, you really get a glimpse of uh, how much of the gospel's in there beforehand. Well, now comes a, a fourth snapshot: Jesus in the sacrifices. Um, you know about the Old Testament sacrifices there in the Book of Leviticus, which is the book that uh, Christians uh, love to avoid. Um, you know, who wants to read a chapter after chapter about uh, get a sacrifice and do this with it and give oil with it and give flour with it and put it on the altar? You know, it's like, uh, let me find something practical. Um, But, you know, in Judaism, it's been traditional in past years to make Leviticus the first book that a young Jewish child had to learn. And you got them motivated by giving them some honey beforehand so that they would associate sweetness with God's word. Isn't that great? So when you don't feel like reading Leviticus, take some honey first. (laughs) I guarantee you, you'll love the book after that. It'll just be absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> well, what goes on in the book of Leviticus is we learn that uh, you need to have sacrifices for our sins. And so there's different types of sacrifices, burnt offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. Um, there's also a sacrifice just to rejoice that God did something good for you, a fellowship offering. And all of these were were to teach Israel that you know we would go to death for our sins, except we have a substitute, an animal who goes in our place. We need a substitute. And uh, do Jews sacrifice today? I'm often asked. No. The only place you could do your sacrifices was the temple in Jerusalem, which has been destroyed now for almost 2,000 years. So modern Judaism has replaced the idea of sacrifices by saying we can have our sins forgiven by, by prayer, by repentance, by doing deeds of charity, and by fasting, and that's how God forgives our sins. And Bible doesn't say that, but without the temple, that's what developed. And again, um, there's one day of the year when you go to synagogue called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and you pray. See, even atheistic Jews, agnostic Jews, out of tradition, they'll go to the synagogue on this one day. And so they'll pray to the God they don't believe in to uh, forgive the sins they don't think they have. And <laughs> you spend all day doing this. <laughs> but um, even for the average person out there who doesn't believe in sin, which is you know, very common th- thing today. The Day of Atonement is maybe the one time a year when you can get Jewish people to say, yeah, okay, there is such a thing as sin, and segue into the gospel. But the New Testament, see, then tells us in so many uh, ways that Jesus died for our sins. Mark, uh, Jesus, uh, using the title he often used for himself, he called himself the Son of Man says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to ransom us from the effects of sin. And you know, it's interesting. He taught the disciples over and over that he had to die and go to the cross, and they didn't get it. Like traditional Jews today, they expected the Messiah to destroy Rome, not sin. And you know. Maybe we can't blame Jews too much today for not seeing if the disciples had a problem, you know? And then again, John, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Reference to the resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That's the important thing. I lay it down of my own accord. It was voluntary, Jesus is saying. Who killed Jesus? Well, Some people say the Jews, and some people say the Romans. But the best answer is we all did, because our sin is what drove him to the cross. And it wasn't just that the Father sent Jesus. This takes it beyond maybe Abraham and Isaac, you know. It's not just that the Father sent Jesus, but that Jesus wanted to do it. That's why he came. I lay it down of my own accord. And I've heard some uh, people argue against the gospel. that it's an example of, I've, it's been called this by some, an example of divine child abuse. Because, you know, they don't understand that the father just didn't take a screaming and unwilling son of his and have him put to death. Jesus wanted to. Jesus died in our place. And Paul says, you know, that uh, very rarely will uh, somebody die for, for a good man, but Jesus came and died while we were still his enemies. Now, how amazing is that? He wanted to come. He wanted to die. He had a purpose. He didn't just stop breathing. This was his intention. Again, First John, uh, John 4, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Another great word, like schenectady and apostrophe, um, <laughs> we've got propitiation, uh, that the death of Jesus averted God's anger against our sin, uh, his wrath. Um, because God is angry at sin, love sinners, hate sin. And 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Again, the sacrifice. And this uh, brings me uh, to our final snapshot. So we've looked at, what, messianic prophecy. We've looked at Jesus in types or pictures. We've looked at uh, Jesus in... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, In two other things, also sacrifices, (laughs) sacrifices, and in uh, theophany, his appearance as a man. And um, now this water gets to you after a while. (laughs) And now we're going to. Finish up with Jesus in the Old Testament festivals. A lot of of holidays, a lot of feasts in the Old Testament, and most of those we love to eat something, Um, but they have meaning beyond that. Every one of them points forward to Jesus. I'll give two examples this morning. In the fall, we've got something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this, um, excuse me, this goes back, again, to the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 23. Leviticus 23 uh, gives the seven big festivals on the Jewish calendar. And uh, have some honey, and then read Leviticus 23. (laughs) Feast of Tabernacles uh, recounts for us the time when God brought us out of Egypt, brought us towards the promised land. And as we wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, it says that God provided booths or shelters or huts for us to live in. It doesn't go into detail. And yet he provided shelter for us while we wandered in the wilderness, provided a great uh, provision, God as our provider. And it, uh, shows us in this picture what happens among Jewish people today. We build a booth and um, spend some time in there uh, each year, and the holiday lasts a week. But what about Jesus? Well, in the days of Jesus, holiday was a little different than today, uh, what happened back then on the Feast of Tabernacles was that it lasted a week, as I say, and the last day was special. The last day was in the temple in Jerusalem. Crowds gathered from all over, and they had a big water show. That was the climax, the water show. And the rabbis the rabbis used to say, if you haven't seen this water show, you haven't seen anything in your whole life, got to see it, can't miss it. And you, you have to be... Uh, careful when somebody tells you that you can't miss something. Um, I was in Missouri a few years ago, and, and somebody said, oh, the Bass Pro Shop. You, you've got to see it. You can't miss that. It's over in Springfield. Got to stop. Got to see it. I don't know if you've been to a Bass Pro Shop. Um, I, I went there. I found out it was, it was like a big supermarket for fishing poles. I'm from New York. How much can I fish? I could have missed it. But when the rabbi said, don't miss the water show, they knew what they were talking about. And the priest would come out, and they, they would pour water around the altar as a kind of an acted prayer that God would keep sending the rain, the abundant provisions they needed, agricultural life, and the Levites would come out and sing, and the people would be chanting, and it was a lot of pageantry. And Jesus, while everyone's looking at the water, makes a connection. And in John 7, on the last and greatest day of the feast... Jesus stood, and he said in a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. And by this, he meant the spirit. And he took that connection, what the people saw, and he segued into the gospel. And the result was great. On hearing his words, some people said, surely this man is the prophet, a capital P, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. And others said he is the Christ, he's the Messiah. And then a third group asked, well, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's family in Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And another reason they didn't like the Messiah coming from Galilee is, is Galilee was um, kind of where the stupid people were supposed to live. Um, LAUGHTER the people in Judea looked down on the people from Galilee. That's why in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, um, remember they all spoke in, in the language. Everyone heard the disciples speak in their own language. And some people said, this is impossible. They're from Galilee. Um, <laughs> dummies. <laughs> but, but they had this great debate And thus, the people were divided because of Jesus, exactly what he wanted. A conversation happened. They were pro or con. No one was apathetic. And they really talked about the same question that we saw in that video, who is he? Who is Jesus? And not only did he talk about water, but on uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, there are four candelabra in the courtyard of the temple on a hill, flood Jerusalem with light for the whole week. And again, Jesus makes the connection on the holiday. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Provided living water, provided light to guide us. He fulfilled the themes of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I don't know if you sing the chorus Jehovah Jireh here. It's all about God as our provider. That's the name of God. That means the Lord will provide. And I love the chorus because it's half in Hebrew, half in English. You have to make both halves rhyme. And you kind of have to sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and just (laughs) make it all come together just like that. Highly recommended. (laughs) And one one just last glimpse here at the holidays, one that Christians know uh, probably best of all, Passover. Some of you may have been at... um, Uh, Passover Seder a few years ago when Ruth Rosen of our staff did it. Ruth is actually here today. She'll be helping out at the uh, literature table afterwards. So uh, if you know her, do say hello to her at that time. But Passover is a great story. I've got some uh, still photos from the movie The Prince of Egypt. Um, And you know the story if you've seen that movie or if you've seen The Ten Commandments or uh, even if you've uh, read your Bible, it's in there also. <laughs> and we, we see that, um, that uh, we were slaves in Egypt, and we, we cried out to God to deliver us, and God heard our cry, and he sent ten plagues of judgment onto Israel. Uh, here we have the plague of lice. Ten plagues of judgment. And... The last plague was the worst of all, death of the firstborn children and animals of the Egyptians. And to spare Israel the plague of death, the Lord says, here's what you need to do. I want you to take the blood of a perfect lamb and put it on the doorposts of your homes. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague will not be on you to destroy you. And so the Israelites obeyed. And because they obeyed, God led them out of Egypt. Remarkable moment in history, but one that pointed forward to an even greater redemption. Because it was at the Last Supper that Jesus spoke of how he fulfilled this holiday. This is Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. Uh, With all due respect to uh, Leonardo da Vinci, it probably didn't look too much like that. Um, I think he's got uh, leavened bread on the table. You know, wonder bread helps build strong bodies 12 (laughs) ways, um, which is good because there were 12 disciples. Nevertheless, um, that's not uh, actually what took place. Probably more like this. And uh, Jesus, at the Last Supper, this Passover meal, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so we, we come to find out, as, as uh, Paul said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Like the Israelites were slaves in Israel, Egypt, Jesus tells us we've been slaves to sin. Like the Passover land was perfect, Jesus was perfect. Like they put his blood on the doors of their homes, we put his blood on the doors of our hearts. And that's why I tell people, whether you're Jewish or not, if you're a Christian, you've had a Passover experience because God has brought you from slavery to freedom. He's brought you from death to life. My favorite image, actually, is he, he's brought us from spiritual brokenness into spiritual wholeness. And so Passover points us ultimately, again, to what Paul said. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let's therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, There you see uh, some unleavened bread, matzah. And let's not forget John, Uh, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Some people just remember the Lamb of God part, not the rest. And why was Jesus a lamb? You know, Sunday school pictures, nice, fluffy, little, cuddly lambs, and Jesus is carrying them. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the Lamb of God because he went to a violent death for us. It's not a pretty picture but it's a meaningful one. Five snapshots, yeah? All goes back to Genesis 12. I'll bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, and your descendants, and especially that special descendant, Jesus, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's why we're here together. Isn't that wonderful? We've all been blessed through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus. Uh, You know his Hebrew name? Yeshua. Yeshua. No disrespect meant, but here's how you remember Yeshua. It sounds like what goes on your foot. Yeshua. (laughs) Now you go back to all of your friends and neighbors, go back to your Jewish friends, and startle them a little by saying, I learned Jesus' Hebrew name in church today. And they'll go, huh? And you can say, Yeshua. It means God will save. Maybe you'll get into a conversation. (laughs) Maybe not. Who knows? (laughs) You know, God works in our lives in so many different ways. I came to the Lord through someone who wasn't Jewish. God gives you opportunities also. But we've looked at Jesus in the Old Testament this morning, five different ways. I hope it encourages you to pursue studying the Old Testament on your own. Let's uh, close with prayer, shall we? Father, uh, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, that you showed us in so many ways uh, how Jesus is shown to us in the Old Testament. The hope of the Jewish people is right there, even though so many uh, neither know the Old Testament nor know why Jesus came. Lord, give us opportunities to share, opportunities to find out what our Jewish friends uh, care about, what they're passionate for, what their fears are. And give us opportunities, Lord, to lead into a a gospel conversation that can change their lives. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.